Open your Bible now to please uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to the Sermon on the Mount, and this is one of those chapters in the Bible that's all read. And our lovely Lord is preaching probably the greatest message that has ever graced the ears of mankind. So we're looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to get some help, of course. I want to talk to you today about going the extra mile. Going the extra mile. Uh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. one time, he was so quotable. He was such a witty man. And he said, if you do less than your best, can anybody finish? It is sin. To do less than your best is considered by God to be sin. He's not looking for perfectionism. He's looking for application. Whatever God's enabled you to do and given you the ability to do, that's the measure that he wants you to live up to. Not perfection, but to the measure he knows that you can. By the way, you've got the grace of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit to help you do it. So there's no excuse, is there? So with that being said, how many's looking forward to midterms? Oh, you lying bunch of dogs. Okay, I'm picking. How many's looking forward to fall break? There you go. Now there's honesty coming. Well, look, we're here in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to ask you to just let your eyes fall down to verse 38. Matthew 5, 38. The Bible says, You have heard that it has been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. But if any man will sue thee at thy law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Now let me explain there what that verse is speaking of. The coat was the inner garment. It was less valuable. The outer coat was the heavier, more valuable garment. That would have been the one that would have protected them from the hot sun of the day and the cool breeze of the night. Look at the verse 41. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And that's the text today. Go the extra mile. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we count it such a privilege to be called your child. Lord, to have the author of this book living within us, walking with us, empowering us, correcting us, comforting us. And then, Lord, to have your blessed guide with us in this precious book. God, we are privileged people. Lord, I know that to whom much is given, Lord, you say much is required. And I'm looking at a group of people that certainly are expected to go the extra mile. Lord, help me to just be a voice of thee this morning. May it be an encouragement, Lord, to the student body and the faculty alike. Help us now. We need the old Lord. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. How many of you want to, strive to, try to live the Christian life in the power of the Spirit? Don't raise your hand because all of us ought to have our hand raised. We try. But how many of you, like me, find out the flesh is so weak? It's not just weak. It's bent in its nature against God. And you constantly feel this tug of war going on in your life. I'll promise you this. If you're trying to live for Christ, you'll feel that on a daily basis. Sometimes stronger, sometimes not as strong. But you'll struggle with this thing called your flesh. It's a normal thing, by the way. Don't think that you're some, some kind of an oddball because you struggle with a habit or a sinful issue. You live in a sin-cursed body, and you're going to have that, friend. But you've also got the power of God to overcome that. I believe there's victory in Jesus. If I didn't believe that, I just might as well fold up my Bible and I might as well turn in my certificate of ordination and resign the church because if there's not hope in Christ, then what have we? We have hope in Christ. We have victory in Christ. But the key to living with a smile on your face and joy in your heart is 
in living a Christ-centered life. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, that's the battle. There's the chess match that goes on in your life and mine. It's keeping them on the throne of my heart, on the very focus of my thoughts and intellect. That's the secret. And the key to living a Christ-centered life lies within the emptying of self. The emptying of self and the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know that that's preached enough in our Baptist circles today, the need of the filling of the Holy Ghost. Um, But that being said, did you know that even our God and all of His power, His omnipotence, He cannot fill something that's already full? In other words, if I'm filled with myself and I'm full of self, how many of you have had a friend or maybe a mother, uh, somebody that loved you and said, you're so full of yourself, and they're joking. But, you know, honestly, that's true. We sometimes are so full of ourselves that there's no place for the Spirit of God to fill us. And so the emptying, the denial must come of those carnal things. Not necessarily sinful things, dark things, but just self-willed things. You need to be strong-willed, young men and women. You need to be strong-willed, but you do not need to be self-willed. There are two different things. And when the self-will dies, then the Christ-will fills in. There you find true joy, power, and contentment in life. So that's going to be your, that's going to be your uh, biggest challenge in ministry and living the Christian life. And so Jesus reveals a tremendous principle to help this filling to occur. It's called the second mile principle there in verse 41. I just want to talk to you just for a few minutes on going the extra mile. And when I say that, you have an idea and a gist of what I'm talking about. But if you're like me, you say, I want that, but how do I get that? I want to arrive at that destination, but uh, Brother Matt, how in the world do we get there? Well, let's talk about some of the things that revolve around the second mile principle. Number one, if you're in the habit of taking notes, write down. The second mile principle involves a mastery over oneself. And I have alluded to this already about I need to deny myself and I need to get full access to the power of God in my life. I want you to look at verse 41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, singular, go with him twain, plural. Now, what is Jesus Christ talking about here? Well, you have to go back to the times of the writing in which Jesus is speaking under. Under the time of Rome's rule, when the emperors ruled. One of the ways when Rome would come in and conquer a land is they just didn't conquer it and remove uh, the government of that land. They put their government in place and all of the people that were conquered became servants of Rome. It was a subservient mindset that was always put upon those that was conquered. One of the ways that Rome did that to the Palestinian land was this thing called the Roman Mile. And you probably heard of it. The Roman soldier could command any Jewish youth, a male youth, to pick up his pack, to pick up his shield, whatever he had, and carry it a mile. It was Roman law. They didn't have a choice. They were living under Roman rule. So if a soldier said, young man, pick up my pack and carry it a mile, he had to do that. And it's said by some commentator and historians that it wasn't uncommon for young Jewish boys to have a mental note of where a mile marker was past that point of their residence. So the Jewish boy would pick up the pack and he would carry it there the whole way off. And then once he hit that mile marker, the average Jewish boy would drop the pack and not take one step further. Now, in, in your patriotic heart and spirit, you would say, I don't blame them. But that's not the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of saying, I'll do what I have to do, but not one bit more. 
See, they were filled with resentment. The boy would carry that load and drop it down because to the Jewish boy who was passionate about his country, passionate about his family, and sees the Roman rule abusing the people, to them it was a sense of of degradation. It was a way that Rome constantly demoralized the people that they conquered. Hey, you pick up my pack. Remember, Rome conquered Israel. So you can see the mindset that the young men would have had. Now imagine the reaction when Jesus Christ is preaching to a bunch of red-blooded males, females too, and he says, listen, if the Roman soldier asks you to take a pack for a mile, tell him I'll take it another mile. Could you imagine the shock on their face? Jesus, I thought that you were a Jew. I thought that you loved the people of Israel. And you're telling us to serve the people that have conquered our beloved land? The Jews resented that attitude. Jesus says, carry it an extra mile. Don't only do what's required, but you do it with a right attitude. And you do more than what's asked. Now, why did he say that? Go back with me in the same chapter to verse 20. Now, Jesus Christ is addressing the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious sect of his day. And he says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus is saying? You look about you, and you see that crowd over there, that sect over there, and they're so religious, they have so many laws. I think it was 613 Pharisaical laws that they had to look after. They looked so apart. They looked apart. They looked like they're doing so well. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness goes past theirs, you don't have any hope of seeing the kingdom of heaven. And immediately their minds must have been saying, good night, I'm not measuring up nowhere near that guy over there that's keeping the, even the measure of his, of his spices to be tied. What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, he's talking about this idea. He says, I want you to get past the thought of doing the bare minimum. You need to have a heart of service and a heart of gratitude, a heart of saying, listen, I get to do this. I don't have to do it. You know what that is? That's the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of the law. That's not the letter of the law. I have to do. The spirit of the law says, listen, I get to do this for the cause of the Lord. They did what they had to do, but their heart wasn't in what they were doing. Now, later on down the road of life, if the Lord allows some of you fellows to find a wife, It's not going to be a problem with the ladies. It's going to be you guys finding the spouse that God has for you probably. But anyhow, if God allows you to have children later on in life, or if you're going to be a school teacher, Christian school teacher, and you're going to be teaching about 20 kids in your classroom, you're going to find out, like parents, all these rascals are different. They have the same makeup, but they are completely different from one another. You're going to have one fella, one young girl in that class, or one young daughter, or one young son, that is going to be a little bit more stubborn than the other child. The one child, you might be able to say, do this with a little sternness in your voice, and they do it immediately. The other one's going to say, why? Why do I have to do that? Now, you're laughing now, but it's not going to be funny when it's your child talking to you. But you all have the idea what I'm talking about here. A parent may command the kid to do an assignment. The teacher or the parent might might command them to do that. And they both do it. However, the one child gets up and stomps to the room, slams the door. The other child gets up quietly, even might smile at dad or mom, and then they walk off submissively and quietly. 
Now, both of the children, both of the students, they're obeying what was said, but one's doing it to the letter of the law, and one's doing it to the spirit of the law. One is saying, yes, and I, I'm obeying you because I love you. The other is saying, I'm obeying you because I have to. And there's the issue that Jesus Christ is dealing with right here. The letter of the law says, as the Pharisees did, I'll do what's required, that's all. By the way, if that's the way that you're approaching your college education, you're going to lose out. The sitting and the instruction, the tutelage that you get in the one year that you're here, three years or four years, whatever it is, if you approach it, I'm just going to do what I have to do to get by to get my certificate, you're going to be a loser. You will. Uh, I'm on the board of one mission agency, and they have changed the name from deputation. That is when the missionary goes around, the church is raising support. They've changed that to pre-field experience. Reason being, because it's not just a time in which to get money. It's a time to minister to those churches. So they go with a whole different mindset. They're not doing what they have to do. They're doing because they want to. And that's the spirit that Jesus is talking about. By the way, it transcends way past AD 31 when this was delivered. It comes into 2023 right now at Ambassador Baptist College and the next class that you sit under. Spirit of the law, letter of the law. The spirit of the law does as told and it does more always than what's required. I want you to look at verse 46 and 47. Jesus said, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? That's not hard. Do not even the publicans do the same? Remember the publicans were that hated crowd. And if you salute your brethren only, what do, you, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? And here again, Jesus Christ is teaching the principle of going the second mile. Why it's so important. He's saying, loving the lovely is not hard. Those that love you, you love easily. Loving those that don't love you back is a different story. That's a godlike love. And then he's saying, you salute your brethren. It's kind of like you have uh, some friends that you're close to here on campus. Free time down in the commons or in the cafeteria or on the ball field tonight. You'll walk up to them and it's so easy to talk with them. But what about the person that's a little bit more difficult to get along with? What about that person that might be a loner, maybe not be very outgoing? Hey, can I tell you the heart of Christ would go to that person? Nothing wrong with, with being with your friends. You need that. But the Spirit of Christ looks out across the crowd, picks out the one or two, and goes to them. And that's what we're talking about here in this text today. And he goes on to say that God's children, God's children are to be uncommon. The first mile walker, that's common. The second mile walker, that one's, that one's not as common. That's an uncommon thing. Christians are to be second mile walkers. You're to do the things that are difficult because of the testimony that it shows of Christ to the world. Now, here's the reasoning. Why is Jesus telling this, these young Jewish boys, hey, take it a mile, and then say, hey, mister, I'll take it another mile. Now, listen to this principle. The Jewish boy was a slave while he was carrying the pack for the first mile. He didn't have a choice. It was Roman law. But listen, if he chooses to carry the second mile, He's no longer the slave. He's in control. I'm choosing to do this. You're not forcing it upon me. I now am in control. Now, I'm telling you something. It'll get the attention of the Roman soldier. It'll get the attention of people today. He says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not doing what I'm told to do. I'm in the mastery now. I'm under self-control. Now, do you see that? 
We're talking about the second mile principle involves a mastery over oneself, not just your flesh. When you go that second mile, you're the one that's in control now because you're doing something that's not expected of you. And God can use you in that kind of a situation. Principle number one of going the second mile, have a mastery over oneself. That's what's uncommon. Number two, would you see the second mile principle involves the giving of oneself? If I have a mastery over myself, that is the flesh is not controlling me. I have a desire for the Spirit of God now to use me over my own desires and wants. Now I have the potential. I'm in control. And I have the potential now to give of myself in ministry to the others that are in need. So the second uh, topic here follows the first one just in perfect suit. The first mile, remember, it's walked out of duty. I'm doing what I have to do. The second mile is walked out of devotion. I'm doing it because I want to. Look with me now here. You should walk with a devotion, then go that second mile, number one, when your dignity is degraded. They say, what's dignity, Brother Matt? Well, it's your self-esteem. It's your self-concept. It's, it's what other people perceive you to be. It's your self-image. God expects me and you as Christians to go the second mile when that dignity is degraded by other people. Look at me in verse 38 and 39 again. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. See, the first miler, that's the person that wants revenge because they live by the letter of regulation and law. You owe this to me. You've taken this from me. I demand it back. Now, if you live your Christian life like that, you're going to be in trouble. Because you're going to have at times in your marriages, in your ministries, people are going to be more takers than they are givers. And if you feel that you've been offended and, and acted against and you deserve that back, you're going to become bitter. You're going to turn inward. You're going to begin to mold in your soul. You'll get cold. Don't do that. Understand Jesus Christ here. When he said, listen, if someone smites you, Smites you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek to them. He's not, he is not endorsing pacifism. He's not. He's not saying there's never a time that you don't stand up. There are times in which you need to stand up for what is right. You're not to be a spineless jellyfish. There are some situations in when you do not turn the other cheek, you need to stand. But Jesus, right here in this passage of Scripture, understand this. He's not defending somebody's right to act lawlessly or endangeringly toward another person. He's not saying that. He's not saying if someone is about ready to beat you to a pulp and you're about ready to expire and you have a Colt 38 on your side to not use it. He's not saying that. He's not talking about a knocking out kind of an issue. He's talking about taking a personal offense issue here. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Now, if, how many left-handed people we have here? Raise your hand. Oh, I knew I was going to get in trouble. Okay, so we got a lot of southpaws here today. But the average, most people here today are right-handed. You know, but you're not any better. It's just, I don't know why it's that way. We'll ask God when we get to heaven. But most people are right-handed, okay? So in the times of Jesus and times of the Bible, did you know it was that way even then? And I'll tell you why. Because in the writing of the Holy Writ or the Scripture, when it was a left-handed man like Ehud, it was something that was uncommon. It was something interesting that the Bible would say, and he was left-handed. 
So right-handed people, I guess it's just always been a common place. Now read your Bible carefully. Jesus said, if a, a person smites you on the right cheek. Now, if Dr. Lucan was standing right here, his right side facing you, this is my right side. I cannot punch his right cheek. It's impossible. Do you know what I can do? I can backhand him. And it's not a knocking out kind of contact. It's an offensive thing. It's when the word comes to you from somebody that you never would have thought would have said that about you. It's when somebody posts something on social media and it goes viral. It's when somebody speaks to you derogatively in public in front of people that you love. That's the backhand. Jesus said when that happens, you be the bigger man, you be the bigger woman, and you turn the other side for them to do it again. Don't respond. Somebody attacks your character as long as it's not something of of ethical or moral value that's going to deter your Christian testimony. Can I give you some advice? What do you do, Brother Matt, when somebody does that? Age-old, long advice, but it's still good for today. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Let it go. Turn that over to Christ. It'll eat you up more than it's going to eat that other person up. That's what Jesus is saying right here in this passage of Scripture. It's talking about when your dignity is degraded. Somebody says something that has hurt me in my inner person. I promise you this, when it happens, and it's going to happen. You all know that. You've had it happen. When it happens, whatever you're full of is going to spill out. It's like a cup of water. Whatever it's full of, when I'm jostled, it's going to spill out. When my life is jostled by somebody's words or actions, whatever's inside of me is going to come out. Say nothing. Do nothing. Be nothing. God can use that kind of a situation if you let Him. So we're talking now about giving of oneself. You walk the second mile when your dignity is degraded. Also, you should walk that second mile when your dignity is defeated. Look what he goes on to say in verse 40. He said, and if any man will sue thee at the, at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Now we're talking about when your dignity, your self-esteem and respect has been, has been defeated. Why? By the law, by a suit, by something you did wrong. Now you're standing before the judge and the law and the consequences of a bad action are now before you. So Jesus says, listen, you don't only give him your inner garment, you give him that cloak, that outer garment. Again, listen, listen. He's not talking here about it being confiscated, stolen, kindness. He's talking about when you have done something wrong and the law is going to demand the price for your action of of doing something wrong. Brother who is found guilty is what Jesus may say today. A brother who's found guilty without any defense He was commanded to surrender his coat also. Not just what the law said. Hey, I want your inner garment. Okay, I am so broken over my wrong action. I am so hurt by what I did in foolishness. Would you take my coat too? And you take off that coat. You know what that shows that person? It shows sincerity. Sincerity. And the apology that you're offering. Now, let me bring this down to the area in which we live. Jesus is saying this. If you've done something wrong, do not react with a minimalist mindset. 
you know, how many of you ever had somebody just outright do you dirty, do you wrong? And then they come up and they'll say this, if I have hurt you. How many of you have said that? Well, if I offended you, no, 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 that's not it at all. You come face to face, toe to toe with that person in the spirit of meekness in Christ and say, I was wrong. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. Let me pass that nugget along to you. If you've done somebody wrong and you apologize, you say, will you forgive me? Why, Brother Matt? Because you're putting the monkey on their back now. You've done what you're required to do. You're now coming and saying, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now it's in their ballpark. Yes, I'll forgive you. Thank you. I appreciate your understanding, your patience, and your grace with me. It's doing more than what is required. It's more duty. It's, not, it's more than duty, I should say. It's devotion. Do you remember what Zacchaeus said? He come down that tree like a squirrel, comes and meets Jesus Christ, and he says, Master, I have restored those people that I have robbed fourfold. What's he saying? The law only demanded a certain amount, threefold. He said, I go over and above that. I have restored them fourfold. Good job, Zacchaeus. You know why? He went beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, showing how, how much he regrets his actions. Now, when you have that kind of relationship that's been hurt, fractured, strained, you need to go in with a second mile attitude. Like Jacob did to Esau. He bowed down three times before he even come to his brother. What is that? Oh, that's a place where God can work. When your dignity's been defeated, you've done wrong. Friend, you need to go the second mile. Admit you're wrong and go on. You should walk also the second mile when your dignity's defiled. Defiled. Degraded. Defeated. Defiled. Look with me now in verse 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We're talking about your dignity being defiled now. Okay, Brother Matt, you just said that when I'm the one that's wrong, I need to go in the spirit of the second mouse uh, principle. That's right. But now let's switch roles. Let's talk about the person now coming to you who's hurt you. What do you do now? Jesus said here you need to have that spirit of forgiveness. Brother Matt, I prefer to get even. I want to give it right back to him. Do unto others before they do it unto you. That's my principle to live by. <laughs> well, that's not the attitude of Christ. There's the problem there. Do you know what you do, though, when you get even? You've probably heard this. As Christians, we live up here. We're second milers. We live up here. The world are one milers, if that, and they live down here. And here we are walking the second mile principle with Jesus Christ, the indwelling Spirit of God. We're trying to keep close communication with Him. Somebody comes and throws a rock at us. Whack! Gets your attention. I'm going to get even. What do you have to do? You get even all right. You come down to their level. And you start thinking like they think. And you start talking like they talk. You get your phone out and say, well, I'll post something in response. Don't do that. That's not a second miler. Let me tell you something. If you really get stirred, ooh, somebody rocks your tater wagon, listen. <laughs> Give it 72 hours. That's a principle. I don't know why it works. It was handed down to me. Let me hand it down to you. If you're really upset about something, give it three days in prayer. You know what it does? It allows your emotions to come down off of that height. 
get you back to the place where you can think logically and clearly. Well, when we get even, you come down to the level where they're at. You don't want to do that. It's kind of like the, the young lady, she's walking along the coastline. I would say beach, but we're Baptists. It's coastline. <laughs> so she's walking along the coastline. She stumbles upon this bottle. She kicks at it a little bit, digs it out of the sand, says, that's an odd-looking bottle. She begins to wipe the sand off of it. Well, you know what happens. Poof, comes a genie, right? So the genie says, ask me three wishes, and there's only one contingency to it that you need to keep in mind. Whatever you ask, it'll be given double to your boyfriend. But the thing the genie didn't know was the rascal just dumped her. So she thinks for a while, and guys, that's dangerous when she has time to think. She says, I got it. I know what I want. He says, tell me what your wishes are. She said, number one, I want a million dollars. She said, wait a minute. Now, you understand that means he gets two. Yes, sir, I still want a million dollars. She has. I've always wanted a diamond necklace. Now, you know that he's going to get two. Yeah, I know that. Million dollars and a diamond necklace. What do you think her third wish was? I want to be scared half to death. (laughs) Think on that in the next class and you'll get that. She came down to his level. Don't do that. Listen, when you're given an opportunity to throw a stone back, drop the stone. Don't pick it up. Leave it there. I I love Stephen. You know, Stephen in the book of Acts. He's there preaching the Word of God, preaching. They come and they literally stone him. But if you'll read your Bible carefully, it doesn't say that he was knocked down. It says he kneeled down. When the stones were coming and hitting him and hitting him, he wasn't knocked down. He willfully, the Bible says, kneeled down and prayed for them. Now, when those times come, you have a choice to let it knock you down. Or you can, in the power of Christ, go the second mile and kneel down and let it be something that has a lasting impact on that individual. What do you do when your dignity is defiled? Well, friend, you just have to go the second mile. Put them into God's hands, folks. But you don't know what they've done to me. No, but I know the one in whom you can put that into his hands with, and he knows how to handle it perfectly. You can either let God defend you, or you can rely on your petty, defenseless self. So we're talking about walking the second mile. Number one, you've got to have a mastery of yourself. Then you have that giving of yourself when those three issues come up. Those issues of being defiled, being defeated, and being maligned. Give it over to God. Last point, we'll be done. The second mile principle involves a dedication of oneself now. The mastery of oneself, the giving of yourself, and the dedication of yourself. If I were to ask you all a question, adult and student-like, I should say older adult and young adult, excuse me. How many of y'all want to be successful? You all would say, I want to be successful. I want to be successful in life. I want to be successful in everything. Well, then be a second miler. Listen, I'm giving you practical stuff right now. Just be that man or woman that's going to say, I'm going to do more than what my spouse, my employer, my professor expects me to do. Be a second miler on the job site. Be a second miler in the classroom. If you only do what's required, you're not going to go as far as you could. It's the second milers that get promoted. You're going to get promoted. By the way, promotion is of the Lord. Follow Daniel and Joseph. 
promotion is of the Lord. He sees all of the hidden things that your employer, that your professor, that your friends don't see. And He knows when you're ready to step you up to another level. He will. He'll do it. Do all as if you're doing it for the Lord. Because if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Go the second mile. Henry Ford. We all know who Henry Ford was. If you drive a Ford or have driven a Ford, you can thank Henry Ford. Well, Henry took over the Lincoln factory in Detroit a long, long time ago. And it's said that when he stepped in, the numbers were upside down. The business was in dire straits. It didn't take long for Mr. Ford to understand why. He went up to the executive level of that Lincoln uh, place in, in Detroit. And as he stepped in, he began to watch the people. And he began to see that he didn't have any second milers. You know what he did? He took a log, I mean a log, large piece of wood, and set it in the elevator. He said, I'm going to see just what these folks are made of, if they have any initiative to do what, uh, to do what's right or not. He said, two weeks passed, and the log was still there. Some of y'all have, have roommates like that, right? <laughs> he said the log was still there. So the third week, he went up, walked around the log, got off on the executive floor, and he fired every executive present. He fired them all because he didn't have any second milers. He was looking for somebody to go out of the way to do what they knew was was right. Pick the log up. Get it out of the place. They probably would have got promotion to vice president had they done that. He was looking for some second milers. Now, folks, do you want to be successful? Be that second miler on your job site and be the second miler in the classroom. Number two, if you want to be successful, be a second miler in your relationship and with your family and with your friends. I'm almost done, but please listen. I think most of us would say that any relationship is a 50-50 deal. But you're going to find out, and you have found out, that that's not always true. Sometimes it's a 60-40 split. Sometimes it's a 90-10 split. Sometimes you have relationships that are so frazzled and frayed that it's a 100% relationship on your end. And you have to go the second mile with that family member, with that lost family member, with that friend that you knew in school that you still stay in contact with. And your lives are going like this, but you're the only Christian witness. You got to be the second mile Christian. You got to be the person that's going to put 100% in. Let me say this. You're getting ready for marriage. Some few of you are in marriage now. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100. Any relationship ought to be on that mindset. It's 100-100. That's the way it should be. And when that other person is not pulling 100% of the weight, I'm going to step up be the second mile friend, relationship member. I'm going to walk that extra mile for him or her. You know what that does? It gives space for God's grace to work. If you just do that, you want to be successful, hey, be a second miler on the job site and in the classroom. Be a second miler in relationships with family and friends. Lastly, if you want to be successful, if I want to be successful, I have to be a second miler in my faith and service to the Lord. Church is no place for second best. God expects you to live up to the expectation that He created you and gifted you to have. When you stand before Jesus Christ one day, You'll not stand in comparison to Mrs. Raines or to Brother Luca, Brother Luca. You're not. You're going to stand in place for yourself as God created you, enabled you, and gifted you to do what He knew you could do. 
And he expects us to live to that potential. And you know what? We ought to, with a wonderful Savior that we have, say, Lord, I'll go the second mile for you. You did for me. I'll do everything I can for you, Lord, because you've been so good to me. So he, des- he desires that we devote ourselves with heart in the Christian life. You know, there's so many Christians today that live a dutiful life. They just they have their checklist. You know what I'm talking about. By the way, it's so easy to fall into that in Bible college. Just to show up for chapel, do my requirements, show up for the activities, show up for the class, just do the routine. Don't do that. Go the second mile. Hey, engage and invite God into every action of your day. Lord, I need you in this. It'll be a lot more enjoyable. Let me ask you a question and I'll close. Say you do want to get married, okay? And for those of you, you are married. Would you rather be married to a spouse that remains married to you because they want to or have to? No brainer. You want somebody that's going to love you when you are not lovable. Want to be with you even when you might not want to be there in a situation with them. The way it is with Jesus Christ. Agape love, God-like love, Christ-like love, self-sacrificing love. I'm with you to the end. I'll never leave or forsake you. You know what he's asking of us? Same. 100 to 100. Lord, if you, if, if you carried my cross, if you carried that horizontal beam and vertical beam on your back, up that Via Dolorosa, to be nailed to it, to be put into the pit of the, of the earth there, and die for six excruciating hours on the cross, three of those, having the Father turn his back on you for me, I think you're worthy to go the second mile for. I think he's worthy, don't you? Look to the platform, look to the back, look to the left and right. God's blessed you here. I think it's worth going the second mile for. Don't give up. Don't stop halfway through the first mile. Finish what's required and go on. Go on and give more. What do I get in return? I figured you'd ask that. You get all that Christ has for you waiting on you at the end of the second mile. He's there, and he has something great waiting for you there. Now listen, would you just decide right now in your heart, I'm going to take the first step of the second mile, that issue that's bugging me right now. Right now in my heart, I'm going to determine unto the Lord, God, you've promised the grace. God, get me through the space of this thing now. I'm going to do what's right, though it's hard. And I'm going to go the second mile. Develop a mastery of yourself. Determine to give yourself and dedicate yourself to God who one day on Calvary dedicated all for you. Go the second mile. Go the second mile. Let's pray. Let's bow together. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, as I speak to you now, my heart is, is bowed low. Lord, in gratitude, Lord, and an amazement of how far you went for me, how far you went for us. Lord, how you love us, how you give yourself to us even now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that. May there be a dedication, a rededication, a first step of the second mile right now in the hearts and the minds of our people. They know what it needs to be, and they know the situation to name. Lord, would you now give them the courage to trust you to take them the second mile. Bless, we pray, the remainder of the service remainder of the day as we walk the second mile. In your lovely name we pray, dear Jesus. Amen.